The Guardian. For many of us, this year, like no other, has brought the role of public health in our lives into focus. From being asked to more regularly wash our hands to getting told that we must stay indoors for our own and others' safety. But the science of preventing disease depends entirely on communication. Communication of public health measures, risk and information about the disease. Without that, you aren't going to get the public on side and the strategies won't work. So what constitutes effective public health and how can governments interact best with citizens? In the UK, there has been significant criticism of how this has been handled. From the three-point messages like hands, face, space, to complicated rules explained by confused politicians. You should follow the guidance of, of, uh, of local authorities, uh, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's six in, in, in a home or six in, in hospitality, but uh, as I understand it, not six outside. And then the public is blamed for flouting those rules. It, we discovered uh, too many care homes uh, didn't really follow the procedures in the way that they, they could have, but we're learning lessons the whole time. Now, with resurgence of COVID-19 around the world and vaccines on the horizon, getting public health and its messaging right could be more important than ever. One of the first principles of good public health messaging is do not blame the public. And we have seen some points in this pandemic when the finger has been pointed at individual behaviour. I'm The Guardian's health editor, Sarah Bosley, and this is Science Weekly. To find out more about what constitutes a successful campaign against disease and what we might learn from countries that have done it well, or not so well, I spoke to Linda Bold, the Bruce and John Usher Chair and Professor in Public Health at Edinburgh University. Linda, many people object to governments intervening in their lives. What can public health offer in a situation where very normal behaviour, like meeting in a cafe with friends, has become dangerous and has to be discouraged? What sort of tools do governments have at their disposal? The kind of fundamental basis for public health is that you're thinking about the population. So it's about the health of everyone in society or the health of a large group of people who might be affected by, for example, an infectious disease. So governments need to communicate that it's not all about making things better for the individual, which is particularly hard in countries' economies where individual liberties are highly valued. But it's about channeling messages which are to do with solidarity, about care for others, and about protecting others. So these are things which it's very important for governments to convey, and they don't always do that successfully, but it's about taking the public with them to understand what public health is. It's about the population. It's not just about the individual. If we look at the way we've handled things here in the UK, there seems to have been very different responses across nations and even regions. Is it possible to make a judgment about the effectiveness of the public health behaviour messaging across the UK as a whole? If you looked at it objectively in terms of some of the metrics we use in this pandemic, case numbers, uh, hospital admissions and deaths, the differences between the devolved nations are not actually that significant compared with, for example, how we would contrast internationally with other countries. But you do see important differences, which I think are actually down to some of the public health messaging and communication. So The first one is confidence in government. And my colleagues at University College London have been conducting the COVID social study 
um, since March, in fact. And you can see that confidence in government has been significantly higher in Scotland in particular than in England and to a slightly lesser extent in Wales. So I think there has been a perception that the way that governments handle the crisis is different across the parts of the UK. And part of the reason for that might be that the devolved governments have responsibility for health and public health, but not some of the other tricky things, um, like, for example, taxes and, and the responsibility of the Treasury that the UK government have. And I also think there's been more frequent communication in Wales and Scotland between governments and their populations, and that may have played a role. And looking at that public health response across the UK at its least effective, how could it have been done better? I think the major errors that occurred across the UK are less to do with communication and more to do with the system working. So the key things which we can now look back and point to are not increasing testing or recognising the need to do that early on and not building a a functioning test and trace system, a contact tracing system, which was paused in mid-March and not started again properly until May and has been fraught with problems throughout. not being able to protect care homes in the way we should have done when we could see that happening in other countries. And then I think just giving people enough information to allow them to understand what the guidance means for them and to give them confidence that they should follow it. One of the first principles of good public health messaging is do not blame the public. And we have seen some points in this pandemic when the finger has been pointed at individual behaviour or the behaviour of groups in a negative way. To use two examples, one of them was around testing when schools went back, lots of families were requesting tests and the government then came out and said, oh, well, you shouldn't all be requesting tests, even though they told people, advised people to get a test if they had symptoms for months beforehand. And then secondly, there's been some unhelpful narrative around irresponsible young people not following guidance. And that disenfranchises, I think, young people and gives them even more reason to think that it doesn't apply to them. So those are things to do with the system and the communication and the messaging that have not been well handled, certainly at UK level, in my opinion. If we look globally, are most countries improving their public health response? And does that result in having more minor second waves? I think all countries are learning through this pandemic. Uh, Some countries learned very quickly early on and dealt with it much better than we did, for example, in Southeast Asia. But if we just look at Europe or uh, North America, for example, I think things are better now. And the things that have happened are, again, systems changes. So having testing, including mass testing, having at least some contact tracing. And very importantly, we've also benefited from science, particularly around identifying who has the virus, getting to them early. And then if people become unwell, being able to treat them, you know, our mortality rates are down at least 30% if somebody goes into hospital because of the steroid treatments that are now available for COVID patients. I think governments have also recognised the importance of frequent communication with their public. So the second wave, the second surge, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't look to be as damaging, certainly in terms of hospitalizations and deaths, as our experience earlier in the year. I think the countries that have been particularly hard hit now in the second waves are the US is is experiencing very serious situation. Um, Some parts of Europe, we have very high case numbers as well. France and Spain have really struggled um, in the autumn months. We just focus on the US for a moment. 
there's a huge inequalities angle to this. And again, we've not perhaps addressed this enough in the UK, that people who live in less affluent communities, in more crowded housing, dense urban areas, higher proportion of key workers who need to leave the house to go to work and can't self-isolate if they become unwell. Those are all factors which I think are common to the countries that are suffering particularly in the second wave. So perhaps not such a strong public health response, but also not recognising the vulnerability of sectors of their society that can be hard hit by this virus. And what about those countries that haven't experienced a second wave? Because there are some. Is that down to those countries having more effective public health interventions? The first reason, actually, is that many of those countries got the virus down to a very low level. They either eliminated it from within their borders, like New Zealand, for example, and parts of China, um, or Vietnam, Taiwan, or other really, really good examples of countries that have largely eliminated uh, SARS-CoV-2, the virus, or they're countries that have managed it far better than we have, Southeast Asian countries being a really good example. But the other really interesting thing about some of those countries um, is the extent to which uh, the public believes that policymakers have taken scientific advice into account during the crisis. And there you see some really interesting differences in terms of a recent um, study that was done where they compared responses across countries. And you can see that, for example, in New Zealand, 76% of people believe that policymakers have taken scientific advice into account during the COVID-19 crisis, 68% in China, pretty high in Denmark and Germany as well. And unfortunately, at the bottom of the table, surprise, surprise, uh, you had the United Kingdom or Great Britain, I should say, 24% agreed with that, 23% in Brazil, which has been hard hit, and 21% in the US. We have heard quite a bit about the Southeast Asian countries doing very well and having perhaps uh, a cultural aspect to that. Do you think that's correct? I think we may pay overly too much attention to that, but it is very much the case that in some of these Southeast Asian countries, there is a high level, A, of trust in government and a history of following government advice. Secondly, there's a stronger sense of social solidarity that's been argued, so a sense of the need to protect others. One of the things that perhaps characterizes that is the wearing of face coverings, uh, where most, if not all of these countries um, have done that in the past, but have also embraced it really robustly during the current crisis. So there may be differences in behavior and attitudes in those countries that have allowed populations and governments to work together more effectively than, than, for example, in some parts of Europe or North America. We're now getting a lot of news about COVID vaccines. That, in a way, is the next major public health challenge for the UK. What are the major issues when it comes to public health interventions for that? The two are interlinked, sort of attitudes and understanding of public health and population health and, and why vaccines are important. So we know that um, there are different figures on this, but there may be up to a third of the UK population who have some hesitancy about vaccines and a far lower proportion who just you know, don't believe in vaccines full stop. Um, so there are really, again, consistent things that governments and health authorities need to do to build confidence in vaccination. And that this is not just about a, a vaccine for for COVID-19, but other uh, vaccines as well. People need to understand um, what is the vaccine? Is it safe? What's the process that it's been through to look at its effectiveness and its safety? Reassuring the public about the role of regulators, for example. 
why the vaccine is needed, what it can and can't do. For example, in the case of COVID-19, um, does it prevent people from passing it on to others or are there other forms of protection that are provided? And crucially, finally, how do people get it? Who needs to get it when and how can people access it? How can they make an appointment and what will it involve? Two doses, for example, several weeks apart. So those are things that government needs to communicate to the public to build confidence in vaccination and to make sure that as many people as possible who are eligible for the vaccine do receive it. With so many countries going through the same thing here, does the pandemic in a way present an opportunity for comparing different approaches to public health on a global scale? I mean, if you look at it like that, what lessons would you say we've learned so far? Sadly, this crisis does give you know, many, many opportunities for international comparisons, perhaps not today because uh, not all the data is comparable and it's difficult to do that, but certainly in the future, we will be able to do it. So I think we will see a historical legacy in many of these countries where there's been an underinvestment in public health and that has cost us dear. Secondly, I think we will uh, shine a light or the light will be shone on these inequalities issues that I identified and others have within countries and how they've um, had consequences for how badly the virus affects populations. So I think that's a factor as well. And we'll also be able to examine the relationship between governments and their populations and the extent to which that might have played a role in compliance, but also just people's ability to, to get through the crisis. And then finally, of course, there are all the economic consequences, the unintended harms of dealing with COVID-19. And again, the effect of the virus on our economies, uh, we'll be able to compare. So future generations will be looking at this period and asking which countries handled it well and which countries handled it not so well. Unfortunately, I think the UK may not come out particularly well with that comparison. Thank you very much, Linda. Very interesting. Well, no problem, Sarah. Yeah, that's a good, I hope that was useful. I didn't have all the examples I wanted to use, but I found some of them. <laughs> Thanks again to Linda Bold. We'll be back on Thursday with another Science Weekly. Until then, look after yourselves. Goodbye. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.